Hello, everyone. My name is Jen Fry, and I am a Visioning Council member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. And I'd like to welcome you to our Nature Evolutionary webinar series, where we delve deeply into what it means to be in co-creative partnership with nature through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a thriving world where people are co-creative partners with all life, honoring our sacred connection as part of nature. I want to thank our members and donors for making possible today's webinar, Truffle Talk with William Padilla Brown. William Padilla Brown is a multidisciplinary citizen scientist practicing social science, mycology, phycology, molecular biology, and additive manufacturing. William founded and is the current CEO of Mycosymbiotics, a permaculture research and production business based in Central PA, close to me. William published the first books written in the English language on cordyceps, um, cordyceps cultivation. And he is also a rapper and singer and a change maker and was featured in Fantastic Fungi. William is the founder of MycoFest, an annual mushroom and arts festival. To learn more about William's work, please visit his website, mycosymbiotics.com, which we also have the link on our website um, for you. So William, I feel like I keep missing you. I keep, uh, you know, we're in the same community and I hear lots about you, but I'm so excited that I finally get to talk to you. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me a platform. <clears throat> you know, it's a, it's an honor to be able to uh, speak and have attention and, you know, for people to hear all the weird nerdy stuff that I'm into, you know, it's always, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, there's quite a list of words that I said in your intro. I don't normally I don't think people that way. Sorry, my, uh, I don't know, my speaker just randomly saying stuff out here. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> um, um. So let's start with how did you get interested in mushrooms? Um, yeah, I got interested in mushrooms pretty early on, um, just uh, trying to figure out how to heal my mind, heal my body from the uh, horror show that is the colonial zombie culture. Um, that's what I like to call the headless horseman of a, a society that I was born into. Um, but uh, yeah, after dealing with that for, you know, 16, 17 years, my mind was a little bit corrupted and my my stomach, my whole gastrointestinal system was not working right from all the fast food and stress and everything. Um, so I was finding um, different ways to uh, heal myself. Um, and uh, I, uh, I became very interested with with uh, cannabis early on, which got me into uh, agriculture, um, and uh, and the the benefits that I got from that plant led me into other alternative medicines because I grew up, um, you know, like with the Reagan era, just say no type education, um, and uh, that led me into a belief that a lot of very beneficial plants and mushrooms were like devil products or like we're just going to kill me or something like this. Um, and when I found out that cannabis, which I thought was like one of those things that would kill me, um, could have been beneficial to my grandparents that suffered with cancer and diabetes and all sorts of other ailments, um, it may, it really um, pushed me into researching other things. Um, 
And mushrooms were readily available in the sense of like the magic mushrooms that everybody's talking about these days. They were readily available to me as a young person. Um, and uh, I tried it. And in those experiences, I gained insight that I would uh, equate to, you know, meditating in a mountain for 30 years or something. And for me as a, as a modern human living in cities, because I, I didn't even go in the woods or anything until I was like 18 years old. I didn't go camping. I didn't go hiking. I didn't do anything like that. My parents didn't own any land. I was always living in apartments and looking at screens and stuff. So um, uh, in this modern time, when so many of us are living in these fast paced lives, a lot of us don't have the ability to really have a moment to think or have a moment to like really just have a moment. Um, and uh, substances like mushrooms can uh, uh, alter your perception of space and time. And um, I found that that them altering my perception of time was really helpful. It gave me the time to think about my life um, and how and the direction I wanted to take and and how things were affecting me. So um, that significant experience uh, led me into trying to cultivate these things for myself as a young person. And um, my son was born whenever I was 20 years old. So I wanted to take my knowledge of hydroponic uh, agriculture and working with mushrooms and um, create something legitimate that wouldn't get me arrested. Um, so, um, I started to figure out how to cultivate, um, you know, uh, superfoods and, uh, various, uh, gourmet and functional mushrooms, um, like 12 years ago. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, you spoke a little bit about this, but I'm curious, I mean, obviously mushrooms helped shift your perception of time and sounds like we're very healing for you. Um, what, what continues to attract, um, make them attractive to you? Like, why are you so passionate about them? Um, because um, I like to look at nature and when I understand what these different organisms are doing or how it, they're living, it helps me to have a better picture of the ecology and how the ecology works as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and I find the language and the stories that nature is telling to be far more interesting than the stories and the language and the conversations that are coming out of our culture and our societies. Um, so I've been trying to figure out how to like communicate more with nature and mushrooms have so many relationships with other organisms that I find that learning how to work with them, it gives you a lot of understanding about other organisms that they're working with as well. Um, so that's what's really exciting to me. There's a lot of mushrooms that people haven't looked at or understood very well. Um, so they need some attention. And when we can understand them, we can, um, you know, kind of wipe a smudge off of the of the mirror um, because um, everything is a reflection of, of self. And when you can understand nature, I feel like it's a deeper understanding of who we are as a being of this of these environments. Um, I feel like this is something that was 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 just part of the daily lives of, of some of our ancestors that came before us. It's like part of the daily lives of some indigenous people that, that people of this, of, of this uh, high society or complex, uh, complexified cultures have a hard time relating to the way that some indigenous people are able to like look at nature and just know things. Um, uh, so I don't know, that's, that's really what draws me to mushrooms is that they, they, they're really helpful and, and uh, understanding other aspects of nature. Great, yeah. 
Well, and I, what I hear in there too is about that relationship um, and how important that is that it's that we're all connected, everything's connected. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, mushroom sounds like it was your foray into nature, but once you're there, you're part of you're, you're part of the whole big web, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you become you you realize you're part of the living story. A lot of us, you know, feel like we're like isolated or alone or like detached or something, but um in all reality we're not and and whenever you can you know find your place or or realize that you know every living thing has an ecological function um it it becomes more apparent to you when you see how nature works and again like as a person that didn't really see it till i was adult i can relate to a lot of the i don't agree with but i can understand why a lot of people are making such terrible decisions with our planet right now especially if they're multiple generations into disconnection like you can ask some people like they don't even know the last time their family lived off the land or had a farm. You know, some people that came over here on boats, they had been in cities in already for a couple hundred years wearing shoes and like controlling the environment in the house and all that kind of stuff. So those values are, are multi-generational into people of disconnect mm-hmm. from living in the wild. So how can you care about something and you don't even know what it is? Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think, um, I mean, I saw a video of you where you, you said something about this, that mushrooms are like really becoming the, I don't know, the, the it organism right now, I guess. It's like, you know, they've really become hot. Everybody's talking about mushrooms. Um, and so I'm curious if you have any insight into like, why, why now? Why are mushrooms so such a draw for people now in our society? Well, um, mycology has only been a science since 1969, an independent science. Before then, it was part of botany and people classified the technical classification for mushrooms were non-flowering plants. Um, So a lot of our understanding and the language that we even have around mycology is all new. Um, So we finally, as as English speaking people and as Latin based speaking people, when I say Latin, I mean like Latin, like old Latin, like, so like Mm -hmm. Spanish, Italian, French, all these different kinds of things, German. Um, We just figured out even how to talk about mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it, I think, is due to the religious artifacts of the, of the culture. And like, I don't like to use the terms like East and West, because I was born in North America, and the West of me is Asia, and East of me is Europe. So in Africa, so it's like, I'm not a European person and I don't like to have my mind frame be like, Oh, the West, that's, that's old stuff that needs to go away or re- get recycled. Um, so I like to prefer, I more prefer to talk about the global North and the global South because there's the people in the global North that are more affluent and things like that these days, but to, to, to remove the redundancy there um, in Europe, in old Europe, the the religious uh, um, powerhouses um, didn't very much value nature. Oftentimes they demonized nature. They demonized pagans. They wiped out pagan uh, nature worship uh, uh, culture uh, uh, cultures. Um, they wiped out Celtic nature, nature worshiping cultures um, and replaced it with uh, Roman Catholicism and other Christianity uh, based religions. But in, meanwhile, in Asia, the Buddhist religion is very much in, in t- intertwined with um, valuing the, na- the natural experience. And over there, they're cultivating hundreds of more different mushrooms than we're cultivating. They've been cultivating mushrooms for hundreds of more years than, than 
um, any uh, Latin-based language speaking people have. So I think that that's why, because mushrooms are already popular way more than we even understand in Asian countries already. Um, so it's just, it's happening in the English and Latin-based speaking countries right now that mushrooms are becoming popular. And I think it's just because we just figured out how to talk about it. Um, it's just the first time, like the first English speaking scientist, mycologist went to China in like the eighties and started writing literature on how to cultivate mushrooms, like Paul Stamets and Jeff Chilton and all them. They brought back all that information in like the eighties. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's just very, very new. And we're just figuring out how to talk about it. I hadn't even thought about that. That's so interesting that we're just figuring out how to talk about mushrooms. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow. I don't, sorry. I'm just having a little bit of a brain freeze on that one because it's just like, how amazing. <laughs> Life's a trip. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, since you brought up Asia and the mushrooms there, let's talk about cordyceps. Cause um, you know, again, you were one of the, you were the first person to publish a, book about how to cultivate cordyceps in English, but what's, what's so special, like tell, introduce us to cordyceps. Um, so, uh, cordyceps, um, cordyceps mushrooms are entomopathogenic in their nature, um, which means that, um, they grow on insects. Um, and you know, you hear the word pathogen and it makes you think like, it's like bad but I think of them more as like a control agent. Like I think that they uh, inhibit um, certain populations of insects from growing uh, to a point where they would be detrimental to the other plants and things like that in the ecosystem. Um, so the cordyceps that I grow, cordyceps militaris, um, they grow wild here in Pennsylvania. Um, they're the most successful cordyceps in the world. They grow wild on all over the world on... Um, more insect species than any other cordyceps. So most different types of cordyceps or ophiocordyceps or lafocordyceps or all these different mushrooms that grow on these bugs, um, they'll grow on one type of bug. Um, but cordyceps militaris grows on um, lots of different types of uh, lepidioptera. So that's butterflies and moths. And it grows on uh, different beetles. Uh, so that's coleoptera. So um, yeah, so we found them growing here on moth pupa in the, in the Appalachian mountain range. Um, and uh, we clone them, breed them, and uh, cultivate them in uh, vegan substrates um, uh, here, in a, here in our farm. And, uh, and I also train people how to grow them. I've been training people how to grow them um, for about eight years. Um, and... Or, yeah, about eight years. And, uh, and we buy mushrooms from our students. So, I mean, you, you spoke about them growing on bugs, but what's like, again, I'm just curious, like, what attracted you to cordyceps? Like why? What? Um, well, cause I was like trying to figure out my health situation and, um, I was very interested in functional mushrooms because, um, they just had so many benefits and I was studying, uh, traditional Chinese medicine and little bits of herbalism online and, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, cordyceps is like up there, like cordyceps, reishi, goji, those are like up there, super high valued, uh, um, products in traditional Chinese medicine. So, um, I was very interested in it and nobody had it in the U S and, um, it's really good for energy. 
Um, so if people are thinking like, why you want it, um, it helps, it helps, uh, with energy in your body. Um, and I used to wake up feeling tired. Um, it's probably from adrenal fatigue, but I used to wake up feeling tired in the morning as a young man. And I was just like, why am I wake up? Why do I wake up and I'm tired? Um, so, um, that's part, one of the reasons why I was looking at cordyceps. I figured that out and I, and it was just my own health. It wasn't something that I needed a mushroom for, but, um, but cordyceps will provide energy. Um, cordyceps can get more oxygen in your body. So a lot of people like it for endurance or hiking in high altitudes and things like this. And, uh, um, it has a lot of benefits for, um, immune support as well. Um, so there's a lot of research that you can look into, um, a lot of really nuanced research and they're utilizing it in, in Asia to treat people with uh, sexually transmitted infections. But, uh, here in the U S um, we're not allowed to talk about that because the pharmaceutical overlords will shut down your business, um, with all of their paid politicians and stuff like this. So, um, it's my goal to figure out how to get rich off cordyceps so that I can buy some politicians and, uh, fight back a little bit. Cause like, what, am I just going to be susceptible to a bunch of people I don't agree with? Like, I'm not just going to like go run around with a sign in the Capitol expecting them to listen to me. I'm just going to go play on their turf. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so again, going back to your intro and all those big words that I said, um, you know, you, you refer to yourself and I think it's very fair to be called to call you a citizen scientist, but um, you know, what does this mean and, and why is that important? Um, I'm, I'm called a citizen scientist because I live in a reductionist culture where everybody wants to reduce everything down into something that they can define and categorize in their head. Um, and if I, which, which like, I'm uh, most of my culture is Western African and indigenous Caribbean from Puerto Rico. We do natural medicine from the land. And if I was to do that and go around and say, I'm a doctor, then I will get really in trouble here. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like there's people that go to college and get into a lot of debt and spend a lot of time to get the prestige of calling themselves a scientist. Um, and I think that it's for the reductionist culture that I call myself a citizen scientist to classify myself as a scientist that didn't do that thing. Um, so as to not like step on the toes of the people that go through all of that to become what they are. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's why I say citizen scientist. And then like, yeah, I didn't go to school. Um, I don't work for an institution. I don't have grant funding or anything like that. That's like my, my our science is driven by community. It's not driven by industry. It's not driven by capital or anything like this. I mean, we do have to like, you know, pay our bills and everything like this. But science doesn't my science stuff doesn't pay the bills. Farming and production of products and doing classes and stuff pays the bills. The research and all that kind of stuff, it's like it makes money way down the road when you can figure out how to make it applicable and create systems for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just science for a different purpose. Science for people. That's the way I think about it. Yeah. Well, and I think too, so, um, so, so much of my work is based on um, working with the intelligence of nature and particularly plant intelligence. And so I think about all these books that are now coming out recognizing that plants are intelligent. 
And back when they first started coming out, I'd get so angry because I'm like, this is what indigenous people have said for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. And, but now what, what's starting to come out in those books is showing that the reason why science didn't show plants as being intelligent was because of the way in which we framed those scientific theories and practices. Um, putting humans and human intelligence as the center. So now there's so much more encouraging us to look at science in different ways and different lenses. And, and I think about that with um, citizen science. I mean, I think you're going, I, I saw what you're doing and we'll talk about it. Like as far as like taking DNA from mushrooms, like that's a little bit more of a stretch than what I normally think of with citizen science. But I also think like long ago, that's what we all were scientists, right? It's like about exploring in the world and experimenting and learning from the world constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's funny um, because I, 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 I do teach in a lot of psychedelic spaces these days that a lot of people, when they have these experiences, a lot of a common theme is like, oh, the, the trees are breathing. Like, that's like a thing that a lot of people say. And I'm just like, they always were breathing. Like, <laughs> they're like, oh, the trees are alive. And I'm just like, they always were alive. You just were living at a, so fast that you didn't realize that this perspective of reality. Um, so yeah, um, and in the in the, the DNA stuff, um, a lot of people are just like, you know, it, it's it's very current. It's very up to date with It's very twenty twenty three, I should say. But like, uh, it, it's I do a lot of DNA sequencing and barcoding services for identification of species and understanding what's in environments. I'm not necessarily doing like genetic engineering per se, um, but I'm more so uh, utilize this kind of technology to illuminate things. Like I can use it to tell you what species of something is if you don't know what it is. We could take soil samples, water samples, air samples from air filters and tell you everything that's in the environment, including organisms that you really can't study outside of the environment. Like there's so many different types of organisms in the soil. You will, if you try and take it in a lab and look under the microscope, you'll never see it because it'll die as soon as you take it out it'll just be gone as soon as you take it out of the soil. Um, so there's like all sorts of things that we can find out um, by, by looking at the DNA. But that's, again, a whole nother, a whole nother conversation. Well, so since we're there, like, tell me, how did you, again, how did you get into DNA? How, how did you learn how to do this? I mean, it's just not something that I've, I've, I've been studying for a really long time, and I've never seen a class on like, how to, how to capture DNA from the environment. Um, well, we're going to have an online course here soon on uh, on DNA barcoding, so I can teach everybody. They can just follow along online how to how to do it. Um, but uh, I was really interested in the DNA stuff. Like when I was studying permaculture, when I was 18, 19 years old, my permaculture mentors told me that the study of permaculture and permaculture design is based on biomimicry. And at the same time, I was listening to Terrence McKenna online a lot, listening to his talks. And one of his talks, he says, DNA is protein syntax uttering itself into existence. And I was just like, whoa, because like my, I grew up from an English scholar family. Like my grandfather was the first African-American English professor in, in New York City. And, and so like I grew up like understanding syntax, understanding uh, linguistic structures. And whenever Terrence McKenna says DNA is protein syntax, he basically said it's, DNA is a language and you're literally seeing it express itself. That's what you see when you see living things. And and. I, that blew my mind and my mentors are saying that I'm supposed to base my designs as a permaculture designer off of nature. And I was like, well, we literally have the code of nature. And like, I went to private schools when I was younger a couple of times and I saw kids that could go on a computer and turn zero ones and talk to computer and turn it into programs and stuff. 
And I was like, we basically are at the point in time where we can understand that for, for living organisms. And like, this ain't, this isn't the first time there's, there's cultures in Africa that talks about, about DNA and about, about DNA manipulation, all sorts of things. They even have like, like, like car, like symbols on the wall of, of the double helix structure that they think that like, that Watson and Crick figured out. Um, so uh, I don't know, this stuff isn't new, but, but I, I realized we were living in a time where so many people are able to work with DNA and there's so many people that are actually engineering things that I, I, I realized if I didn't know about DNA, then I will be living in a world that is a completely unrecognizable or un, not understandable to me. Because whether we like it or not, within the next five to 10 years, there's going to be genetically engineered organisms every time you walk outside because they're already cross-pollinating with with plants, they're already just getting out. Like there's a guy in China that engineered like three humans that that's illegal and he's been charged with it. He was supposed to be in jail, but there's, it, and there's people that can just do this at their house. Like, just like I figured out how to do, figure out, like there's kids that can just go figure out at their house how to like engineer themselves. And there's people on the internet already did it. So I'm just like, do I just want to live in a place where I'm ignorant to all of this and I don't understand it and it is scary to me? Or do I want to understand it so that I can have a better comprehension about the world that I'm living in? And then COVID happened. And then there's people saying that it's engineered, it's from a lab. And there's people that are saying that it's this and it's that. And I'm just like, this is the first time where, I'm, where I was like, I'm glad I know about DNA because it doesn't matter what the people say. The people never heard of what a PCR test is. Meanwhile, I just started to do PCR in my basement. It's a polymerase chain reaction machine. It's how you amplify DNA. So I looked at the studies from the COVID and they were amplifying it way too much and finding COVID samples in places that there was, there's all sorts of things that you would never would have known if you don't know what you're actually looking at. So people can pull blinds over your eyes if you're ignorant, if you don't know, but we're living in a very high speed information time where there's just so much going on um, that not everybody needs to know this. You need to have somebody in your community that knows this to be able to comprehend this for you while you're the one that knows about the plants and that somebody else knows about the water and all these kinds of things. That's the communities that we come from that as, as my, in my Western African heritage and my indigenous Caribbean heritage, we don't have money economies. The closest thing we got to that was, was, was trading shells. But what we did value was that every piece of the, every different person in our community was the, what we needed to survive. Not that I can just get money and I can go buy my water and buy my gas and buy my, and I don't need anybody else. No, I need the person that knows the gas. I need the person that knows the water. And that's the kind of reality I want to live in with interdependence instead of this nuclear family type energy. But um, to, to wrap that all up, um, um, I, I started doing DNA barcoding to identify um, different mushrooms. And then um, I, 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 I trained myself by watching videos during the pandemic whenever I couldn't go to work anymore because I was traveling a lot to teach mm -hmm. and I couldn't travel. And then they were giving me stimulus checks. So I used the stimulus checks to buy DNA equipment. And then I just watched YouTube videos and, and then I did it and it worked. And then Penn State hired me to teach about how I figured it out. Um, and then, um, I, then I figured out how to do DNA sequencing also. So there's like DNA barcoding to figure out what the identity is, is, is like the first step. But then sequencing is how you actually get the information. You can actually like tell what the DNA code is for different things. Um, 
now we live in a time where there's DNA sequencers that's the size of a cell phone um, or like an iPad. Um, and, and I could afford one as a, as a high school dropout self-employed person, I can afford a DNA sequencer that I can take places. And I wanted to figure out how to do field labs because I can take my DNA sequencer to the edge of a forest where, where construction equipment is doing deforestation in South America and Central America for palm plantations, where there's rare organisms that have never been documented before. And I can get their DNA before the plows come in right then in the forest. I don't even need to go take it to a lab or anything. So like with information like this, and I want to figure out the best way to train people how to do this in Spanish, and then they can go talk to people how to do it in indigenous languages in Central and South America. We can utilize this to find organisms that's undescribed at a, the most critical time when, it, when it's literally being destroyed at the same time where you're trying to figure out something new that we didn't even understand. Like we're destroying at the same time we didn't even understand it. The UN is just voting right now for if, if the richest people in the world can go put their giant machines in the ocean to mine the ocean floor. And we don't even know what lives on ocean floor. And they're trying to go mine the ocean floor. So I'm just like, all right, we need these machines that can figure out how to like figure out what's alive right now, right now. So that's why I wanted to learn it. Um, because it's a very critical time for this information. And if some people don't collect it, then it might not be there to be collected. Wow, that was an incredible journey. <laughs> um, I never would have thought about the stimulus checks being used for DNA sequencers. I love that. <laughs> and um, and I love this vision of, um, yeah, of just going out and really understanding the language of nature and what what's there. Because like you said, there's so much, um, you know, I've done, I've um, studied in the Amazon before. And so that's the one that always breaks my heart is that like, there's all these plants that we have no idea who they are. And now we're just wiping them out. Um, but I think it's everywhere. And like you said with earlier with the mushrooms, I'm sure there's even, there's so many more mushrooms that we don't know about than plants, I'm guessing. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's like so many undescribed mushrooms. Um, and, and even here in the U S like people would think that, I mean, like we're in a place where a lot of mushrooms are described, but there's a lot of little stuff that people didn't really pay attention to. But if you go to Central America, South America, Africa, um, there is a lot of mushrooms that people never looked at just because, uh, the scientific mind, uh, wasn't there in the sense of like, I don't know the, the documenting mind. I mean, not right. saying like there's a really great uh, book by an author named Gregory Cajete called called Native Science, and mm -hmm. it talks about indigenous methods of science, mostly about North American. But there's other ways of knowing, like mm -hmm. in the in the U.S. and in in Europe, which I've lived in both. I lived in I lived in the United Kingdom. I didn't live in Europe. I lived in London, but in the U.S. and, and in Europe, in the United Kingdom and Europe, is is it's like scientism. It's not even like science anymore. There's a lot of people that don't know science, but they like don't believe in God or don't believe in higher power. They believe in science and they think it's the only way to know something. But there's so many other ways to know something. And if you limit yourself to just thinking that if, it, oh, if the science says that this is what's true and then everything else is not true, then you just created a weird reality that you live in that's mostly uh, based on human ideology and systems of, 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 very isolated patriarchal understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so I just want to switch gears a little bit since we're talking about truffles today and we haven't even mentioned them. So, uh -huh. <laughs> so um, can you tell us like what's the connection between truffles and mammals? Like what? I can, um, if you let me just share my screen, yeah. I can uh, show you my truffle, some of my truffle presentation. Um, I'll have to go. I don't know what our time frame is, so I might have to like go through um, some different parts of it. But uh, I would love to share some of that with you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. yeah, so um, I started getting interested in truffles um, like 10, 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago, um, because I saw this this YouTube video um, uh, and I actually just got off a meeting with the guy in this YouTube video like like 35 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago or something like that. Um, but I was young. I was at home. I was trying to figure out thing, different things to do with my life. and this video came out on munchies about this kid in New York that was selling truffles and all their wild exotic mushrooms and stuff. And, um, I had seen truffles and like known about them as like a luxury item. Um, and I saw that they could fetch a high price. And like, at this point I was like, just starting to get into like selling wild mushrooms that I was foraging and like cultivating mushrooms. And I was like, Whoa, how cool would it be to like sell truffles too? And, uh, yeah, so it was just really something that I thought was cool. Um, and I always like to put stuff that I think is cool on the internet because, um, when I was little, I was like really inclined to look at things that was like flashy or that I thought was cool on the internet. And it led me into finding interest in a lot of things that were not very conducive to my well-being. Like, you know, I was interested in like fast cars and different kinds of clothes and just a whole bunch of stuff that just was not for me. Um, but I know that there's a lot of people that speak that language. There's a lot of people that that they don't even go to school barely. There's a, there's so many people that like don't even have much of an education. But what they do know is that if you got those nice Nike shoes on, that you got money, or that you're doing well for yourself. Um, and so teaching a lot of people in inner cities, I started to have to like figure out different ways of communicating with people for other people for more people to understand what I'm saying, or more people to actually hear what I'm saying. Um, so I started posting a lot of different things on the internet with like, uh, you know, that I thought was like flashy or showing people that they could have like, you know, quality lifestyles with different, uh, different ways. Um, so I started selling truffles in the winter times um, to boot to boost my uh, business. Um, whenever all the other wild mushroom sales uh, stopped, um, I was selling truffles in the winter time. Um, you can grow these in our area. You can grow them. I don't have land though. You might want to have land or be able to lease land long-term because you're going to have to plant trees and wait about six or seven years before you get your truffles. So I was getting truffles from Europe um, and uh, South America and uh, Australia um, and selling them. Um, I would get them through importers so that I didn't have to go to the airport and pick them up myself and you know, it gets pricier and pricier the further away you get from it. But um, I would just do overnight sales to people online uh, or I would sell to restaurants and stuff near me. Um, and uh, yeah, so truffles are uh, the fruiting body. Truffles are actually a mushroom. Um, they're an underground mushroom um, and they're a mushroom that has an association with um, trees. So they live on the roots of trees and help provide the trees with nutrients. Um 
truffles used to be an above ground mushroom and they diverged from these cup mushrooms in South America during the late Jurassic about 156 million years ago. Um, so we see this trend in mushrooms kind of like these cup fungus kind of like closing up and going down into the ground. So I like to tell people to like look at nature without a lifespan bias. A lot of us, you know, you know, we're like, oh, I'm a human being, you know, I'm probably going to live like 80, 90 years, you know, we got modern medicine. So, you know, this is my life. I'm born in, you know, this, I was born in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. And you think, you think that this is the life that you're going to live. But if you look at the world like that, it gives you just like a pause. You only just get to see a slice of what life is. And a lot of these organisms are changing from something into something else. Like when we see this cup fungus, it may be turning into a truffle. It may be on its way to be a truffle. And that's just what we're seeing right now. Um, because at some point in time, 156 million years ago, there was a cup fungus that turned into the truffles that we see today. So that's, I mean, like, I just like to let people know, like everything is in a constant flow of change. Um, and if you can look at it with a grander scale or bigger eyes, um, you can maybe see more things and understand more information there. Um, so um, I was writing literature on cannabis. I've been writing literature on cannabis for two years, and um, I was writing literature about the evolution of the endocannabinoid system or the system that we have that allows us to interact with cannabinoids, um, particularly the ones that we produce ourselves. Um, and I started to see some really interesting correlations. And this is what led me to start studying about truffles. Um, I sat through this talk at 2018 Telluride from a woman named uh, Michelle Ross. I think she was talking about cannabis. Um, but in her talk, uh, she mentioned that truffles produce endocannabinoids, but they don't have a system for um, processing them. So there, she, there's research suggesting that they're producing them as a reward for, for animals. Um, so this became very interesting to me, um, especially because molecularly, uh, with molecular evidence, uh, tr truffles started producing these cannabinoids before cannabis even did. So there's uh, like other plants that and mushrooms that figured out this relationship of providing uh, mammals with a reward system or other animals with rewards, uh, biochemical rewards uh, for finding them, which is very beneficial, especially with cannabinoids, because um, uh, cannabinoids like anandamide, which is found in black truffles, in induce adult neurogenesis or the ability for creating new brain connections as an adult, which most people that kind of ends when you're when you grow up, when you're not a little kid anymore. Um, but yeah, so um, if you think about this, like evolutionarily, like the cup fungus are selecting for reduced water loss and then towards animal dispersal, um, because that's the one thing that happens whenever they go underground and they depend on something else to spread their spores. Their spores are completely enclosed. They fully need something to eat them uh, in order to spread their spores. Um, there's been over 45 identified animals, mostly placental and marsupial uh, mammals that depend on truffles. They're a big part of their life cycle. Um, even though insects are animals, I didn't include them in this because there's so many insects that eat truffles. Um, all levels of mammal eat truffles from the, from the mice and the voles all the way to the bears, the possums, pigs, goats, all of them. There's so many mammals that eat truffles. Um, there are also 32 identified mycophagous turtles and uh, other reptiles, um, and then also like snails and slugs eat truffles. Um, there's research showing that uh, foraging behavior, hoarding, hibernation are recognized as factors influencing the spatial and temporal patterns of spore dispersal of truffles. I propose that truffles are, are influencing 
the behavioral hoarding hibernation patterns of and mating patterns of these animals. Um, and this really started to hit for me um, whenever I started to uh, um, think about this in a sense of deep time. Um, during the Jurassic, every, every mammal, during the Jurassic through the Cretaceous until the, the Paleogene, all mammals were smaller than a cat because all ecological functions that was larger than a cat was taken by reptiles. Um, nature kind of like figures out what it likes. Ecosystems figure out what they like. There's always going to be, you know, something like a rhino, something like an elephant, something like a, 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 a rabbit, something like a fox, something like a lion. In any environment around the world, we see this time and time again, something like a bear. You know, we have the lions that used to be here. We had the woolly mammoths that used to be in North America. Like every, all, a lot of times nature's producing something similar. And so they, all of those things were filled by, by dinosaurs, by, by reptiles. And, and it wasn't until 65 million years ago, whenever that giant rock fell out of the sky and smashed into the Yucatan Peninsula and, and wiped out all of the dinosaurs, and left room for the tiny mammals to, that survived to finally diversify. Um, at this point in time, all mammals that would be surviving this period of time where it's very dark, there's not much plant matter, there's not much to eat, they'd be highly dependent on any food source they could find. And truffles would have probably been a very valuable food source as an underground uh, mushroom um, for providing food for these mammals. Um, so, uh, the truffles uh, depend on these mammals eating them to spread their spores. Um, I'm going to slide through some of this stuff here. Um, around two, 225 million years ago, Pangaea began to split into a northern continent uh, called Laurasia and a southern counterpart called Gondwana. Each continent carried its own cargo of animals and based on the known fossil records, scientists believe that the ancestors of mammals alive today uh, emerged in the north and then migrated south. And then molecular evidence states that mammalian orders diversified around 100 million years ago. So if you go back to the information that I provided you here about the um, truffles uh, diverging 156 million years ago, uh, this would have given it proper time right at the right at the right time um, to to be evolving co uh, uh, alongside mammals. So um, just like there's certain mushrooms like like Amanita that's associated with pine tree, just like there's certain mushrooms like Chanterelle that's associated with oak or or um, uh, um, cordyceps that's associated with insects. I think that truffles are specific like a lot of truffles are specifically like mammal or animal mushrooms like for like almost like for us um so um we talked about the dna stuff uh we use this to just do um, identification there are a lot of different types of truffles there are um uh, truffles um like the ones that we see here that are utilized more like a potato or like a, a carbohydrate source in the middle east um these are not like uh, gourmet truffles but people do ask me about you know, hey, there are people cultivating truffles in Pennsylvania. There's people cultivating truffles in Virginia. There's people cultivating truffles in the Pacific Northwest. What about the American mid, uh, the American Southwest? What, what can we do in Arizona? What can we do in New Mexico? What can we do in Texas? Uh, you can cultivate these desert truffles. Um, as far as cultivation goes, uh, 
Joseph Talon, uh, Italian gentleman, was the first documented growing truffles during the beginning of the 19th century. And it was uh, said that he began planting acorns under the oaks that produced truffles and then transplanting the seedlings, which is very intelligent. Um, this is a way that, I mean, still to this day, you can um, introduce the seedlings to uh, the truffle fungus. Um, and introducing seedlings to the truffle fungus um, uh, is the way to cultivate truffles. Um, once that truffle association happens uh, with the seedling, they'll maintain that uh, fungus with them for their entire life. Um, as far as consumption goes, they bind really well to fats. A lot of the beneficial compounds in truffles are volatile aromatics that will bind very well to fats. Um, so I'll store them with different fats like nuts, chocolate, cheese, butter. Um, and, uh, and so I, that's just how I store them. So I'll shave my truffles when I'm ready. And then I'll also have the, um, some nuts or some cheese or something that I can eat that also has the truffle flavor, which is also beneficial. Um, this is one of our North American ones that I've had the luxury of foraging for. If you look at my YouTube channel, which is uh, Apex Grower, um, you can find a video of me uh, foraging these truffles with uh, my friend uh, Sunny and her dog Stella um, out in Washington. Um, these truffles smell like pineapples and like uh, really pungent fruit. I like to mix these with a cream and make whipped cream. Um, it's very light and aromatic. It tastes really nice in your mouth like that. Um, this is this is us in a forest with uh, looking for the truffles. Um, she trained that dog herself. That's an Italian truffle breed of dog, um, dog that was bred for truffle uh, foraging. Um, this is the uh, Oregon white truffle, uh, Tuber oregonensi and Tuber gibbosum are both very aromatic gourmet truffles that um, can be found in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Tuber leonii is a pecan truffle that can be found in the American South on pecan farms, pecan orchards. Um, uh, these are mushrooms that grow in association with pecan trees and they're super gourmet, very delicious. Um, and uh, this one is the Appalachian truffle. So this is one that we have in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, New York. Um, uh, and we have an expert from Oregon that's coming to teach us all about, um, you know, native truffles at MycoFest. So um, MycoFest is a three-day festival that we host every year here on the first weekend of August in central Pennsylvania. Um, if you look up mycofest.net, that's M-Y-C-O uh, fest. Um, you can see uh, more information about our festival. We have experts from all around the country come out to teach. Um, and then this one is just like the crown jewel. Um, every year, you know, uh, people find one of these in Europe that's like the size of a coconut or like a big bowling ball or something like this. And it gets like thrown on an auction and sent to like some royal family like castle or some chic's mansion or some big wealthy person um, will we'll buy it up for like just ridiculous, extravagant amounts of money. Um, and then uh, tuber stevum, this will be like the truffle that you would get this time of year from Europe, the black truffle. Um, and then tuber milanosporum would be like the European truffle that you would get uh, in the winter time or the tuber milanosporum is now being cultivated in uh, Chile and South America um, because, uh, because it's winter time there now. So you can have wintertime mushrooms during the summertime in, in the Northern hemisphere. Um, by cultivating them in the southern hemisphere. So we're getting really good lockdown on this earth thing, um, especially in collaboration with other people around the world to be able to like provide really nice foods and medicines around the world all the time. Um, so I'm open for questions. Um, if anybody has any questions, that's really like, I, I that talk is meant to go for an hour, but y'all have me with like 30 minutes left to give my whole talk. Um, so I kind of condensed it down. 
Yes, thank you. Um, thanks for condensing. And also it is a lot of information there. And fortunately this is recorded so people can go back and listen and slow it down and write notes too. Um, but I'm just so fascinated. I had no idea that we had truffles in North America. Um, so that's exciting to know. Super, super cool. Yeah, um, I, I think that, I mean, again, we're just figuring it all out as, uh, as um, you know, the global north, um, you know, just getting back in touch with nature, um, which I think is super cool that uh, psychedelics are becoming decriminalized and all this stuff now because, um, you know, people are trying them. And like, honestly, like, I'm not like one of these like people that says like, yo, everybody should try psychedelics or whatever. Like, that's not my MO. Like, I don't, I, I teach people about going in nature and farming and stuff like that. But for me, there's all these people in cities that are just like on like benzos and on like antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and like all sorts of this and that and this and that. And they're on porn and they're on sugar and trans fats and all this different kind of stuff. And they have a hard time just like sitting down in the grass and enjoying a nice day. They need to like flick through their phone screen or like have all this kind of stuff. And like, I think that's where it's important that, that psychedelics are becoming decriminalized right now, because it's something that's going to be very, very helpful for people to be able to relate to nature. So like, that's the thing that's like cross all the research that I've seen about psychedelics that increases nature relatedness. So I'm very happy that more people are going to have these experiences that makes them feel connected to nature. And then they can come to our classes and they can come to your talks and they can learn about how to, you know, get in touch with, with, with nature. And, and I think together we can you know, really make this planet something that people want to be born into and enjoy their life on instead of, you know, being like, why the heck was I a lot born here? Why do I got to pay to drink water? You know, yeah. um, I don't want to, I don't want more of that. I'd rather figure this out for the next generations to have something nice to come into. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, so if anybody does have questions for William, please feel free to put them in the chat or raise your hand. And in the meantime, while they're doing that, William, um, well, just with what you said, I'm curious, um, what is your vision for our future? My vision is that um, we start to operate in decentralized um, ways, more like the more like the mushrooms. I, I, my vision for the future is ecologically regenerative, sustainable micro industries. Um, that people can create businesses for themselves, that while they do business, it's beneficial for the ecosystem in which they're operating and it's beneficial for the so social systems in which they're operating. I want people to be able to provide the energy that they need the, for, for their electricity. I want people to be able to provide the wastewater remediation that they need for their, for their water. And I want people to figure out the production of their food and the production of their medicine regionally so that so that they can support their communities locally instead of paying for rich people to get richer that really don't even care that their business is, is damaging the ecosystems. Um, and and I want I want to see what kind of unique culture emerges regionally as as the as new tribes and new communities get the time to set in to being alive again. I think since the world wars, a lot of people are living in this fight or flight type life that they think that everything could be taken away from us. So not a lot of people are settling into the fact that 
oh, I live in the Appalachian Mountains. I live next to the Susquehanna River. This is what it means to live here. This is what it tastes like to live here. When we have Appalachian of origins in, in, in different European countries, it says like Parmigiano, Parmesan cheese can only come from the from this uh, the Reggiano region or whatever, or like Champagne can only come from the Champagne region in, in France or Vidalia onions can only come from the Vidalia, Vidalia, Georgia. I think that there's like, every place in the world has a flavor it has a has a culture it has an energy that's waiting for humans to bring it out that that we're living so fast that we're not paying attention to it you just go down to to the to where the target and the and the Wegmans and the and the Whole Foods and the and the Cracker Barrel and the and the Red Robin and all that other kind of stuff that people just go to the same thing everywhere across the whole North America not realizing that that place that you're in is like has something unique to offer. So I really think that like, we're going to move into a future of people being able to provide industry for themselves on a, on a regional level um, and, and to be able to emphasize culture and, and, and regionality. I really think that that's what the future holds. Thank you. That brought tears to my eyes. And I, I love that idea that every place has its own flavor. Um, I, I would thought, have thought about it as energy myself prior to that, but that idea of a flavor of a place is beautiful. Um, there is a question here, and I see you have something pulled up there about the health benefits of truffles. Yeah, yeah, I just we just released a truffle product. So I just was showing it to you guys, you guys can check it out on mycosymbiotics.com. Um, this is our black truffle extract. Um, so you guys can uh, go on our website, learn a little bit more about it. And you can, uh, you know, support our business if you feel so inclined. Um, so um, I can answer a couple more questions. So, um, so I'm looking for some more in here, but also, so since you were talking about decentralization, how about um, talking to us about the bridge? Can you explain what this project is? Um, so the bridge uh, is run by the Bridge Foundation, an organization that is uh, operated by uh, uh, a Harrisburg native that played for the NFL and collaborated with another uh, woman from Pennsylvania um, to uh, create this foundation that buys old uh, schools and malls uh, to convert them into eco villages, uh, housing and uh, places for business, farmers markets and things like this. So right now we're in the basement of an old Catholic high school um, that's in the process of, of going through um, different renovations and things like this to become an eco village. Um, so um, they're looking to have some of this operational by 2025. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I saw there's um, like a garden for on the bleachers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our our production manager has been managing uh, uh, bees out there. He just came in with chanterelle mushrooms. He's out foraging, um, but he's been managing uh, bees out there. There's gardens in the bleachers. Um, there's gardens in the old football field and uh, uh, chickens out there in the football field. Wow. Do you have a, a website if people want to check out the bridge? Um, the bridge has its website. I think it's like the bridge.org or bridgefoundation.org. I, I, I'm not sure what the bridge website is. I can, uh, if you, there's a question here, but if you look up bridge, bridge and Harris, you're going to find it for sure. It's the bridge. Um, yep. Or bridge uh, eco village. It's, um, it's yep. an urban eco village. Um, so, so what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting to get interested in mushrooms and, um, maybe wants to start to forage them or, how would you suggest that they begin? Um, come to one of our classes. We offer classes every season, like for, like many times a year. Come to MycoFest. 
um, engage with all of the different educators um, and uh, join our community, join our newsletter, because um, if you can't come out to Pennsylvania, I'm probably going to be in a city near you sooner than later. Um, yeah, so um, we travel around the whole US so you can find us somewhere and we can teach you about foraging, we can teach about uh, mushroom cultivation. If you have a community of individuals that wants to learn about this stuff, um, you guys can hire me or my team. Um, uh, we have many trained individuals, our production managers trained in wild foraging, mushroom cultivation, extraction of uh, plants and mushrooms. Uh, my manager is trained in permaculture design um, and uh, holds ceremony and is an expert with different uh, South American medicines. Um, and, uh, and then myself, uh, I do consultation around permaculture, uh, um, uh, urban agriculture, molecular biology, cordyceps cultivation, all that kind of stuff. So um, reach out, reach out to Priyanka at microsymbiotics.com. I'll put that in the chat. Um, that's my manager. You can book us. Uh, we can come out to you or you can uh, join our newsletter at microsymbiotics.com. Um, and you can see where we're going to be um, near you soon. And if you come out to MycoFest um, or you start following us or seeing our newsletter, um, you'll probably find other organizations that are based near where you live that's doing this kind of stuff and you can get more local education. Great. Thank you. So you may have already answered this, but I'm curious, what's like, what's really lighting you up right now? Um, really lighting me up right now. Like I've been really hype on the truffle stuff. Um, I... I just want to get some land. I, I, I've been so excited for so long and I figured out so many cool things. And I just want to get some land for my family so that I can like, like chill for a little bit and like write some books and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah truffles and algae. I think they're, I think they're pretty cool. Um, I would implore people to look at algae. Um, 2018, we had a federal bill farm in the farm bill. They, uh, they rec they start recognizing algae as a as a agricultural commodity. So it's something that you can get crop insurance on, and um, there's grants for it and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, definitely encourage more people to look at algae. I have an ebook on it. I'm working on a new book on algae. Um, I got a publishing deal, so that's pretty cool. So I'm just gonna keep working on that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't even get to talk about algae, but there's just, um, there's so much. And uh, so before I close out, I just want to ask you if you have any um, final words you want to say or anything else you want to highlight. Um, I think it's a really uh, incredible time that, um, you know, I get to speak in this way about the things I'm passionate about in this country and um, have a platform for people to hear. Um, discernment is critical to the upholding, upholding of truth and the with the bombardment of information available to us in this 21st century. Um, there's just so much information that's out there. So um, being able to connect with people and uh, really interact with people that are doing the things that you're interested in, I think is very, very valuable. Um, and uh, yeah, just make space for new realities. This is a really important time uh, for us to redefine what wealth means. Um, we're coming out of the ages of, of wealth and power structures being controlled by 
by royal families and empirical forces. And this is really one of the first times in history that common people can come together and collect our wealth and, and redefine what wealth is. Wealth doesn't have to be paper currency that's backed by a Federal Reserve, backed by a bunch of people that have ships and oil drills and, and the ability to move what they think is wealth. It's because we've agreed to that being wealth. I think that's an illusion, an illusion that's been sold to our grandparents, an illusion that's been sold to our parents, an illusion that's, that people try to sell to us. I think that we know what's really real. It's clean water, it's good food, and it's having good time with the people that you care about. And nothing else besides that is even real. And I think that it's the most important thing that we can provide what wealth we have, what space we have, what materials we have to people that value that more than anything so that we can create the space for this into the future so that more people don't get trapped into paying bills to a bunch of rich people that doesn't deserve our, our life force. That's really what it comes to is this people, this rich people that's taking our life force that put us in these situations where we're born into these, into a trap. And if we can get land and if, if people can pool their wealth together and provide it for people that's able to uphold the things that really matters, which is clean water, good food, and space and time with the people that you love, then that's all that matters. So if, if I can leave anybody with any message, it's just turn your wealth into clean water and good food and space and time with people that you love and, and know that there's that the people that you may think as enemies that's out there is looking for the same things as you. And if we can find the, the time to communicate because the first time that people that we were bombing 100 years ago or people that we're at war with 100 years ago, they can understand what we're saying. We're not in some country where it sounds like blah, 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 and shooting guns and stuff like that. They can talk to you in English. You can talk to them through a Zoom call. We can meet each other and realize that we're all human beings. And I think that this is a really, really beautiful time to communicate because we can. So let's take this time of peace and let's redefine what wealth is and make it more available for more people. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, William. That was beautiful, powerful. Has tear I have tears in my eyes again. Um, so I want to thank you for sharing your, your wisdom, your brilliance. Um, also really thank you for having the courage to just follow your heart and your passion and, and create. I mean, you, you, you're doing this. You are creating a new world. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, so thank you for joining us. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope you all can uh, catch me in the real world. Yes, <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> um, and so again, if anybody, I'm sure you all want to learn more about William's work now. You can, um, of course, um, also learn about his classes and MycoFest at his website, mycosymbiotics.com. And again, we have a link to that on our own website if you're having a problem finding it. And um, I'm having a hard time closing up here because I'm just so moved, um, but <laughs> I just want to, again, thank you for joining us and please join us next month for our webinar on August 8th, which is As I Tend the Garden, the Garden Tends Me with Lisa Estabrook, and she is the creator of the beautiful Soulflower Plant Spirit Oracle deck. If you've not had a chance to see this deck, it's really sweet and um, helpful and powerful. And Lisa's just an amazing artist who has a deep connection with nature. So it's always a joy when I get to spend time with her. And I would also like to invite you all to join one on a sacred journey to Mount Shasta this fall. 
where you can renew, connect, and experience the magic. Um, details are available on our website, natureevolutionaries.com. And while visiting our website, as always, I invite you to press the donate button. Your donations truly help us to continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities and listening to and building relationships with the living earth. And so um, until next time, let's like really hold in those words that William just shared with us and create this new reality um, that we know is possible, that our hearts yearn for, that our bodies yearn for. So thank you everyone for joining us. Have a good day.